You are listening to Parenting Our Future with certified parent coach, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in your parenting so you can create the family you always wanted. For more information on my book and other resources, check out yellingcurebook.com. Welcome back. It's Robin here. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about international adoption. And I have a friend on today who has a really incredible adoption story that I really want to share with you. And I want to share it with you because of the way that she has taken her experience to really change her life, but the lives of so many other women. So I am here to introduce you to Tanya Donahue, who is the CEO of Mango and Moose, a socially conscious fashion and lifestyle brand, combining her passion for mindful design, ethically made goods, and integral business practices. Additionally, Tanya is also the author of a children's book entitled The Hooligans Have Landed, all about her zany interracial family. She has contributed to several adoption publications such as Focus on Adoption magazine and the Kindle book The Immediate Family, The Adoption Option. Most recently, Tanya's work has been featured in the best-selling compilation series called Ignite Female Leadership. Her heart and work center around loving and serving others. And it is so true. So Tanya, welcome. Thank you for being here. Hi, Robin. Thanks so much for having me. It's yeah. just such a pleasure always to chat with you. And I love what you do. So I'm just happy to be a part of it. Oh, that's so great. Thank you so much. And <laughs> Tanya, you and I met uh, at, a, at a conference where we were both nominated for awards. And right. um, we were nominated for the, the work that we do in the community locally and globally. And, uh, and you were one of the award recipients, which is just so great. And I was so honored to be in such amazing company. Um, so your work yeah, is just I incredible. Agree. It was <laughs> yeah. such a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. So really what I want to talk to you about is, you know, when it comes to families, you know, families come in all different shapes and sizes. People become parents in lots of different ways. And mm -hmm. for, for you, you have, um, you have a very, a very interesting story. And so can you sort of start with, you know, wh who's in your family, how your family came to be um, a family unit? Yeah, you bet. So my husband and I have four children. Uh, age ranges from 15 to 20 years old. Uh, our sons are biological and then we adopted both our daughters from Haiti. So our first adoption was of a little girl when she was two and then our second adoption was a little girl who was six. Um, so that obviously changed our, our family dynamic quite a bit and the way that we looked at parenting and how we parented. Um, I would say that we still had the same foundation, but when you're bringing children into your home who haven't always been with you, there's certainly more of a focus on attachment. It's a very big buzzword in the adoption community, mm -hmm. um, attachment and connection. And what a blessing for our sons too, because that made us more intentional about that. And I think every parent needs to be intentional about it. And um, bringing the the other kids into the home it really made us focus on that more and i think overall it just helped our family as a whole unit 
Mm. Yeah, and and so you uh, you and I have spoken about your family, and and you yeah. had one of your daughters was never in a traditional family unit, right? Mm-hmm. So there was she didn't really understand what the role of a mom was, right? And I remember you telling me that she would draw a picture and show it to your friend, not you. Like she wouldn't absolutely act with you as though you were really her mom. It was just the lady that is here, right? Yeah. T- tell me a little bit about that. Well, that's kind of an interesting story too that you bring up and just a point that a lot of people may not actually know, which is that many times it's our beginning that matters more than our age. So people will often think about, you know, oh, that must have been hard adopting someone who was six. Well, actually, our two-year-old had been institutionalized since birth, so she had never had that skin-to-skin contact Mm -hmm. that uh, someone looking into your eyes while they're feeding you and that real bonding and connection with one single caregiver. You're in an orphanage where you have multiple caregivers um, and, you know, I, it was a very good orphanage, but still, you're you're not with a, a family parent dynamic, right? Um, and then our daughter, who was six, had a very different story in the beginning and was actually with her birth family until she was three years old. So therefore, you had all of those connections with siblings, with parents. So when our, our first daughter came and she was two years old, there was no real understanding of what a mom was, what a dad was, what our roles were. And so if she falls and gets hurt, she would just go to anybody who was sitting around the playground rather than coming back to me. Um, And our six-year-old, when she came and something would happen and one of the other kids would maybe do something, she knew right away she was to come to me and tell on them, right? It was just (laughs) instinctive to her. She knew what our roles were and she knew how it worked. So that being said, when you have these scenarios, you have to work just as hard in both situations because with the six-year-old, you're dealing with other things, which I think I had also shared with you, um, malnourishment and malnourishment on the brain and hoarding of food and just a gamut of other things. So I'm not saying one is better than the other. It's certainly better for the child if you can be connected from the very beginning with someone. But again, it did make us intentional about really bonding and having that connection and we did have to parent different than what we had previously been doing with the boys yeah and you you also shared with me that you needed support and you needed help because this was as beautiful as it is to be able to bring these children into your home you you really struggled yeah we really did (laughs) we really did The truth is that it took longer than I wish it had to get the support that we actually needed. Um, And the reason for that is you need to talk to people, to be with people who who have been through it or they know about trauma, they know about parenting special needs. Um, So it isn't like just going to a regular counselor. There's a lot of books, there's a lot of resources. Uh, The game changer for our family was finally finding a woman in Burnaby who truthfully I've never ever met in person, but uh, she had raised eight kids herself, many from the the foster care system. She'd also adopted and she was a psychologist and just 
so helpful with the information that she gave us um, and you need that and you need other parents who understand what you're going through as well. Mm. What were some of the tips that she gave you that really stood out for you? Uh, stood out then and stand out now because I still tell people about them when you know they're struggling with things and we use them with our sons and stuff too and other people okay. can use them as well um, but a couple of the things um, were a, a lot of recognition of the past experiences the girls had come from and what that means for them. So when you're in an orphanage and you're competing for attention, and I used to always say that our daughter was just so loud, like she, she was just the loudest and our youngest one. And um, just really having Megan explain to me how in order to get that attention always, you had to be the loudest, right? If you weren't the biter, what attention were you getting if you weren't doing this stuff? So being able to recognize where that was coming from for starters um, and some of the tips that she had just given us on different things to manage with food and um, like our one daughter who came and she was always like uh, hoarding food um, mm. while she'd hide food in her room. Um, and again, not having food always your whole life and not being able to rely on that next meal, it makes sense. So hiding food in her room, in her night table stand drawer, or um, overeating both of the girls to the point of making yourself sick, right? Because they were so food insecure, right? Exactly. Is that That's yeah. a great way to say it. And so some of the tips we got there was always having out food, like bowls of nuts that were around or something. Mm -hmm. Always having a granola bar in your backpack so that you just know there's always food there for you, right? Um, giving, especially with our second daughter, giving her her a smaller plate so you know how you set the table and everyone's plate was just the same size and giving her a smaller plate so that it could look as full as her dad's plate but it wasn't as full or fuller than her dad's plate because a six-year-old should not be eating that much food right mm -hmm. um, so tips like that that were really just life-changing for us to help us through that and the thing is it can go on for a really long Time. So, you know, after six months, you're thinking, oh, okay, like, could we just move on from this? But you can't always. So being able to have those tips and guidelines, um, it did disrupt our family. A lot of the situations, a lot of things changed. We became a public family. So more people would be noting, noticing us all the time and the girls were getting a lot of attention and not the boys and people would remember us. And so that really changed who we were as well. And I know uh, my oldest son struggled a lot with um, a couple of things and the way one of our daughters was acting. So he was able to get help through her too and just learn, hey, is this a broken egg or a broken leg? Because he was at the point after a couple of years of thinking, well, everything she did was terrible. <laughs> it didn't matter what it was he just he really didn't like her at all and so um the counselor had talked to him just about categorizing it is it a really big deal or is it not right and so that's the broken egg broken leg that's so right. not a really big deal is a broken egg and it's not fun but it's not the end of the world but a broken leg that's a big deal so that's yes. what you're saying. I love that. That's great. What a great idea. And you know, one of the things that you just said about your daughter being really loud and needing a lot of attention is really yeah. what you're saying is you 
you took the behavior and you looked at what was underneath, what was driving the behavior. And that's mm -hmm. what I say all the time to parents is that the behavior itself is neutral. The behavior right. itself, look at it as secondary, but look at it as why, how come there is this behavior? And then you seek to find the need that is under the behavior, mm -hmm. which in her case is attention. And there's really yeah. just a handful of, of basic human needs that our kids need, like unconditional love and attention, mm -hmm. affection, you mm -hmm. know, and, uh, and that's just a couple of them. And, and when you get, when those needs are met, you're, everybody's calmer. Everybody yeah. can relax because mm -hmm. you're getting those core needs met. And of course that's, that is, um, in addition to your basic needs like food, shelter, water, that, that sort of thing. Absolutely. But, um, but those, mm -hmm. those core human needs, um, are, are really important and, and the behavior will show you if they're not getting it. And so we mm -hmm. need to go to them and, and it's super hard if they're too young to be able to articulate it or, or in this case, you know, come from a place where they were never taught to articulate mm -hmm. it. And so you really have to be creative in finding out what's really going on. And that's yeah. that intentional parenting. And when you say intentional, what I think you mean, and tell me if this is different for your experience, but mm -hmm. intentional to me means that I am going to think before I speak and mm -hmm. I'm going to intentionally choose my words and my thoughts mm -hmm. and my actions when it comes to my child. Like I'm really going to be intentional. I'm not going to go into autopilot because yeah. that's when I go back to condition, the conditioning that I have and the, 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 the pattern of parenting that I've had in my, you know, from the generational mm -hmm. par parenting pattern mm -hmm. where we yell, we shame, we blame, we criticize. It's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to intentionally choose to just pause and listen yeah. And seek to understand, right? Mm -hmm. Is that what you mean? Absolutely. And that, and, and even more of just, yeah, you're stepping outside of what is the norm for you mm -hmm. and you're intentionally thinking about doing it different and what that child needs. Mm -hmm. um, I am not a person who feels like I have to explain myself all the time, but for Ellie, she really had lost control of everything. They're not, you know, in the environment before that they were, the people that they were with before. It's a different language when you're coming to Canada. It's different food. It's different. We were living in Grand Prairie, Alberta. I'm telling you right now, it was different weather. It was freezing cold. Everything. Yeah. She lost control of everything. So her need to know what we were doing all the time was huge. So telling her, Ellie, we're just going to run up town and then we're going to stop at the grocery store. We'll see dad. And then we're going to come home. And someone actually heard me doing this one time who was in my home quite a bit, a friend of mine. And she was like, I can't believe how much you do that all the time. I never think about doing that. And it's like, Oh, I don't do it for everyone. I just do it for Ellie. Cause she needed that. Right. Mm -hmm. And she needed that. She doesn't now she's 15 now. And I'm like, get in the car. Right. Like <laughs> but at that time she needed that. So just giving them what they need as well. And, and you know, I think what what I hear you saying too is you met your kids where they were, not where you thought mm -hmm. they should be or where you expected them to be. You had to adapt, right? Mm -hmm. And meet yes. them where they were, where their needs were. And that was hard, but you put the work in in the beginning, as mm -hmm. hard and un as uncomfortable as it is. So but but knowing too that you know, this will work itself out and it has worked itself out. Right. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of times we see behavior and we kind of freak out. We're like, okay, well, if you can't do this now, if I have to explain this to you now, am I going to have to do this for the rest of your life? 
and then we we bring our own baggage into it right but instead yeah. just meet your child where they are and allow their development to unfold naturally and trust that it will because mm -hmm. it will right Absolutely. and and maybe she will you know need some extra things but that's okay that's just that's the deal you make when mm -hmm. you're a parent when you mm -hmm. choose to be a parent you know uh, however you come about with that. Yeah. So, um, so, so I really, I, I really like that. And, and I do love that, you know, you struggled. I don't love that you struggle, but I love that you asked for help. Yeah. Just <laughs> to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Because I think, I think we often think, okay, well, like I've, I've, I've already got two boys. I've got yeah. this. Yeah. And, um, but, but really you've got to, you've got to have help for the transition for your boys because mm -hmm. anytime a child is born into a family, it is a trauma for the, for, for the kids that are already there. Right. Yeah. And, and it, and it goes back to our, like our caveman brain, right? Where mm -hmm. you are a source of survival for me. And now I've got a rival, another rival, you right. know, that is competing for attention, affection, survival, all of those things. And, yeah. and here are two, you know, completely different kids that you're bringing into the family. So you've got to be intentional with your boys who are already here and intentional with the girls that have excessive needs, right? Yeah. So that, that's huge. Very Huge. well set. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But I, I can, I can only imagine how tough it is. Uh, and, and, and that you, you are seeing the fruits of your labor now, which I think is really beautiful. You are currently listening to the parenting our future podcast. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And please don't forget to subscribe. And I would be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating on iTunes. If you'd like to connect with me, all my details are in the show notes. And for a copy of my book, go to yellingcurebook.com. Now back to the show. Now that your kids are older, you've gone through the really hard times and, and look, parenting never ends, right? So yeah. there's always going to be things. <laughs> there's always going to be things. But now that you, you haven't you know, one of the things that I, I actually wanted to ask you about and bring up, you shared with me a concept that I'd never heard of before. Mm -hmm. And that was the idea of an economic orphan. Okay. And I didn't know what you meant by that. And so you explained it. So can you tell me about what, what you, <laughs> I, I don't know how to say it, but the, the girls that you adopted, you thought they were natural orphans. Is that right? Versus an economic orphan? Yeah, so let me just define the terms a little bit. So an orphan by definition is someone without parents. And an economic orphan, um, though less heard about, is actually very common. And that is where people can no longer care for their children. So they essentially become an orphan. They're put in an orphanage. Um, not only in Haiti, where my girls are from, but in many parts of the world. Um, and so they can't care for them many times for economic reasons. They can't afford to feed them. They can't afford to look after them. Uh, or uh, one of the parents has passed away. And so that makes it even more difficult, especially if they're young. Um, so then they do end up going into an orphanage when they are in fact not orphans. Um, at the time when we adopted um, our first daughter, there was nothing in place other for parents other than 
relinquishing your children if you were in that situation. Now I'm thankful to say from that same orphanage, there is many ways that they strive to keep families together first. So through milk programs, if there isn't someone to be able to breastfeed that baby anymore, um, formula, you know, you can keep coming back, nutrition programs, if you're, you know, unable to care for them and get them back on track, um, but really to try to preserve the family. Sadly, it is still not across the board that this happens and many families are forced to give up their children. Um, so yes, Yes and no. I mean, when we started the process to adopt, knowing that there were so many children who were in orphanages who needed families, we did, I suppose, think that they, they wouldn't have parents, but we still always hoped that they would have extended family that we would know. And as it turned out, both of my daughters actually have their fathers still living and they have siblings who are, are in Haiti. And we know both sets of family super well and have traveled back and forth over the years um, to get to know them. Yeah, so, but essentially your girls were economic orphans. Oh, they are. Absolutely. They, yeah, yeah, they absolutely Which were. I had never known of or understood before. So that is um, really fascinating. And, mm -hmm. and what, it, what it comes down to is that there wasn't a support system before and it's money, right? Mm -hmm. It's money. So here's the thing that you didn't mention, Tanya. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that I know about you is that you lived in Haiti. Yes. Right? Yeah, you didn't did. just adopt these beautiful girls and, um, and carry on. Uh, and this is, this is the humble part of you that I so love. <laughs> you are a really beautiful person. You not only moved to Haiti, mm -hmm. you and your husband created a business to support these families so that they don't have to have economic orphans. This is true. Yes. Yeah. So come on. <laughs> that is pretty <laughs> incredible. That is, whoa. Um, so, so can you tell me a little bit about that, even though I know a lot about it? <laughs> okay, absolutely. I can. Um, it was a dream of mine to live in Haiti for a very long time, believe it or not. <laughs> so wow. we decided to uh, move there um, when we had teenagers with us, which is a good time, right? You know, less than enthusiastic <laughs> teenagers, I'll say. And we moved to Haiti and we were living at the orphanage where one of our daughters was from and um, in a smaller mountainous community. And the purpose of us being there was so we could really live within, inside our daughter's culture, um, get to know their families even more, even though we've had a relationship with them for the past 12 years or more, actually 14. Um, and really learn the language, learn the Creole language. All my French uh, uh, children spoke French immersion, so that was a little bit easier for them. Um, and primarily to do business development. So knowing that our daughters come from the situation of where their families are lovely and would love to have been able to keep them, but couldn't because of unemployment that is so high in that country mm. um, and not being able to take care of them. And the, I mean, every story is different too. So, I mean, there's a lot of questions we get because they do still have 
biological siblings who are living with their fathers and stuff but I mean they were older and they were able to care for them or you know our one daughter was really sick so she went into the orphanage so there's always different stories that are around it but I mean even when we talk about someone being sick or we talk about a parent dying in childbirth they don't have the medical care that they right. need, right? Mm -hmm. Which is also part of being an economic orphan when you don't have access, when your family doesn't have access to get you into a medical center. Um, so we were living in Haiti full time, yes, and we started Tikokoye, which is a little, uh, I mean, little coconut, by the way, and it's mm. a cafe, spa, and boutique that's in Miabale. And um, through that, we were also working with 16 artists and partnerships in Haiti to get different goods to sell to tourists. Uh, tourists, I don't know how many of those we ran into. I don't know why I said that, but missionaries <laughs> who were up in that area, we were right next to a partners in health hospital so we had those people um the visiting personnel there always coming over to the coffee shop um and then we needed to return to canada and for a couple of reasons and um when we had to do that it was very hard for me very sad for me but i knew that it was the right move for our kids at that time our second son wanted to graduate with his friends and get a job and a car and you know integrate mm -hmm. back into Canadian society our oldest son had already left for school in the US and um, it was just time for our family to come back but I didn't want to stop what we had started because I had seen the direct impact mm -hmm. of job creation and what people do with that like staff were just like the rest of us would build a house one staff member rented a bigger house because um you know then her extended family could live with her someone was getting married three of my staff members were having babies at the hospital and able to just care for them and that's really powerful you're living in it every day you're significance is feeling palpable there and, and you're just in the midst of it and then you're pulled away from that and you think I don't want to stop that it's just as important when I'm over here so that's where we lead into what I think you're you're bringing up to about our new company uh, well not so new anymore but mango and moose mango and moose so your company is I love jewelry and accessories. That is, uh, for anybody that knows me, I love I love a good necklace, earrings, the whole thing. Right. Um, and you have beautiful products that are all sourced from these artisans who are now able to make a living wage and you provide that for them so that they can have their family together, have babies in hospitals, have a home, you know, be able to, which, which, it, which in turn means they're spending more money in their own economy and it has a ripple effect. Uh, now this is a podcast obviously, so you can't see what I'm wearing uh, unless you're watching this on YouTube, but I've got a mango and moose necklace and earrings on that I bought myself that I, I, absolutely love and I would just I would really love it if if you know the story of adoption and Tanya's story and what she is doing with her company like she's pretty much single-handedly doing this with you know all of these other artisans you know to check out mango and moose um, and see the beautiful jewelry look if you're gonna buy something anyway why not buy something that makes a difference in the lives of other people or a gift for someone you know making a difference is feels really good it feels really good 
Yeah. yeah. So congratulations on all of that. And actually you do have a gift for everybody who's listening. That's right. So um, the entire month of October, if you visit mangomoose.com, 15% off your entire order. And if you spend up to $25, if you spend $25 or more, then I'm going to send you a free book of the hooligans have landed, which we haven't really talked about, but it is. No, let's a- talk about that. Yeah, it's a children's book that I wrote um, after the massive earthquake in Haiti in 2010. Um, And I did it as a fundraiser. It's um, illustrated by Tammy Lyon, which is just, she's so amazing. So it's great illustrations as well. And it's all about my zany interracial family. Doesn't focus on adoption, doesn't focus on the fact that we are interracial, but it is just showing um, that a family like ours is just normal like anyone else's. Super fun book. Um, so $25 or more, and we'll send that off to you for free as well. That's awesome. And look, I don't use my podcast to sell stuff or, you know, promote things, but I really feel so strongly about what you do and how much you care. And this is a problem that we all need to be a part of the solution for, you know, from supporting women and moms to, you know, helping out those who are just trying to earn a living wage. I mean, I I so appreciate what you, what you're doing. And also, you know, with the book, you know, talking about how to normalize this, right? Mm -hmm. Families come together, like we said at the beginning, in all different ways. And it it really, to normalize it is, 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 is what we should do. We should just look at it as a, just another family, right? Absolutely. And I think when we think about, you know, mango and moose and, and others, um, and other groups like ours really like, oh man, there's so many people who are working together for this stuff. So Mango and Moose actually works in um, 11 developing nations. Um, well, 10 developing nations. And then we also have a Canadian line so we can support local artists. Oh, fantastic. Um, but when we return, then we started building these partnerships in multiple countries, uh, now working with 19 different organizations. So those people, they are on the ground. They know the language mm. in, you know, Guatemala, in Vietnam and East Asia there's there's people who are there who are running these programs already and we're coming alongside of them to be able to help them to sell the goods that they're making so we've got a ton of home goods as well which is actually what I really love um, mm. I'm barely a jewelry wearer which is very strange for the company <laughs> that I now run but um, lots of home goods and baby goods and stuff as well but more than that like our partners in East Asia, they help women to leave the red light district. So you have these women who are being rescued, but, uh, and many times there's childcare that's provided for them because they have children, um, and counseling courses and money management and training, Mm. but they need to have something for an income to to replace basically what they were doing before. And so then, you know, that also leads into making things, but there needs to be a global marketplace and a place Mm -hmm. to sell this stuff. So Mango almost really has had the absolute privilege and honor of coming alongside of the people who are already doing it um, and being that platform over here in North America for that. but incredible journey for so many of them and the Ugandan um, 
former child soldiers who are working to create their own new lives over there. And it's just a privilege to help them do that with my small part over here. It really does feel, feel small to me, but I could not do it without the people who are, who are supporting it, bringing these products into their home and the, their friends' homes. And really you said it like having something that has meaning right? It's just not a, a meaningless purchase. It's certainly not a pity purchase because honestly, we have nice stuff. Um, <laughs> totally nice stuff. <laughs> it's just, it's having something of value and really being connected to that maker. Yeah. And, and sorry, I, I should have said it's more than just jewelry. Oh, You're yeah. right. Kids, you do have purses, you do have access, yeah. like other accessories, different things. Uh, and, and, all of it is beautiful. You uh, love the jewelry, so hey, that's yeah, great. That's my, that's my jam right there. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'm uh, like, oh, I like our new tea towels. Like, yes. that's me. <laughs> that's so funny. That's so funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, so look, uh, I want to thank you so much for being here. I want to thank you for what you've done in your, you know, for, from your family perspective and for the world, you know, you're a beautiful person. I am honored to know you and call you a friend. And, uh, and so, so thankful that you were able to join me today and just share about your experience and, and just share about, you know, what it's meant for, for you and, uh, and your girls and your whole family and your boys too. So thank you so much, Tanya. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Robin. I so appreciate it as well. It's been lovely. And I just love what you're doing as well and helping families to be more connected. You're just beautiful. Oh, thank, thank you, you and to everyone who is listening as well. Awesome. And all of the information about the discount and mango and mousse and everything will be in the show notes. So That's have great. a look for those. Awesome. Okay. okay. Thanks so much, Tanya. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon, and if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe, and if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection.